0: Maybe we'll leave that for next week. It's hard to believe that summer's coming to an end, isn't it? I think for many of us this morning, we're clinging to the doorposts of summer, wishing that maybe we had a few more weeks. It seems that this summer has flown by, and it's been a great time, hasn't it? Uh, There's been great memories, there's been great trips, there's been great laughs, great events here at the church, and we're so thankful for everything that summer has given to us this year. And uh, as we think about this season, it's a season that we love and one that we love to just be a part of and engage with. I think if we did a survey this morning of summer memories, probably one of the themes that would come up uh, of something that's very special in the summer months, uh, the theme that would come up would be the theme of camp. We love camp and we love camp ministry and everything that it it, uh, entails and captures for us. It's a fun time to get away and have an experience, uh, usually in a mountain setting, and a, just a great place uh, for us to go to Christian camps to have deep encounters with God. When I was a boy, we used to go to a camp called Camp Camisole. It's still there. It's uh, just uh, west of Sundry in the Wypress Valley, and this was just an incredible place for us to go in the summer months and have great experiences together. And at that time when I went... Now I'm starting to sound old. Uh, back in the day when I used to go to camp, uh, it was a pretty simple experience. Uh, there wasn't a lot to the formula that made camp fun. We would get up in the morning and have a devotional. You'd have lunch. We'd do some crafts and activities in the morning. And and then uh, in the afternoon, we would uh, we would just go down to a river. We didn't have a lake or anything fancy like that. We actually played in a river. This was before the, the days of... Uh, of policies or, or of having to sign off waiver sheets and all that kind of thing. We'd go to a river and play in that. One year, the river was so dry, we actually played in mud puddles. And, and we would just have the best of times. After dinner, we would play some wide games, and then we would have an experience that I think, no matter where you went to camp growing up, it didn't matter if it was a simple camp like mine or a, a fancy camp... The, uh, the, the best experience of camp, in my opinion, and I think many of our opinion, comes around the campfire circle. And when we would get to that campfire time, it was often the case that God would do very special things and that he would show up in big ways. On the screen behind me, I found a picture of the actual campfire circle from the camp I went to when I was a kid. You can see in the bottom corner, this was 2002. When I went to camp, we didn't even have the fancy bleachers. We just had logs that we sat on. But this is the actual circle from Camp Camisole. And this was a special place. Uh, God would often do some of his best work in our weeks at camp around that campfire pit. And the formula wasn't too complicated. We would get there and play some fun games. Sometimes there was hot dogs and marshmallows. Uh, We would sing funny songs. And then uh, it would start to dial in and get more serious. For people who were there, uh, you know, we would... We would kind of bring it to this moment, and uh, one of the counselors would come forward. All of our counselors had kind of goofy names throughout the week, and so somebody would come, Mighty Mouse or whatever we called the counselor that week, they would come and they just sort of lay their camp hat aside for a moment, and they'd say, you know what, I'm just going to put aside Mighty Mouse for a minute, and I just want to introduce myself as John, and I want to tell you a little bit of my story of how God's been working in my life. And we would listen and be inspired to these men and women who would give up their time and their energy and, and their vacations to come spend time with us at camp and, and share their stories of how God had touched them and, and reveal to us, you know, the answer to questions like why. And as we had these experiences and we would listen, oftentimes there was tears in these moments. Um, after the, the, the speaker was done or the testimony was done, so often a worship leader would get up and, would, and we would sing and we'd cry out to Jesus and have these powerful experiences in the wilderness of the Wypress Valley as we shared together. Well, I remember one week at camp when I was about 13 or 14 years old, where uh, every time we would get to that moment of, of having worship, it seemed that a storm was blowing in from the west. This is on the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains, and so we would watch Uh, Or we would hear, rather, because it was so dark. It was like midnight uh, black out. It wasn't midnight, but it was that dark out when these experiences would happen. And as we were uh, sitting around camp, we could hear the rainstorms coming in. And the winds would start to blow, and so we'd sing a song or two, and then we'd quickly run back to our cabins. And by the time we got there in this particular week, every night it seemed, we would be soaked to the bone and absolutely drenched from these storms that would blow in. And so, on this one particular night at the end, as we were singing and and as we heard the testimonies, we sang some worship songs towards the end, we had seen and watched throughout the night as not just a rainstorm was blowing towards us, but indeed thunder and lightning of like um, uh, Genesis or Noah proportions were blowing into our campfire circle. And literally, every time the lightning would strike, the whole place would light up like it was midday or like it was noon. And so at the end of the speaker that night, uh, I remember the worship leader getting up and she saying, we're just going to sing one song tonight because I don't think we have a lot of time. And so we're going to sing this one song, but we think it's very appropriate to the time and, and to this moment that we're sharing. in." so I would encourage you just to stand. And as we stood, she strung or strummed the first chord of her guitar. and We started to sing the words of Psalm 121, which we did a little bit here this morning. And we sang, I lift my eyes up unto the mountains. Where does my help come from? And as soon as those words came out of her mouth, bang! This enormous explosion takes place over our heads. Literally, it felt like the lightning bolt struck feet from where we were standing. The explosion to this day, I'm convinced, has has damaged many of of our hearing who were around the circle that night. It was enormous, and we all burst out laughing. Where does our help come from? Explosion. And then we took off for the cabins. When we got there, we were completely drenched to the bone. But that night, as a ragtag group of kids who had come together that week, we reflected around uh, our cabin circle in our bunk beds, and we just shared how God had touched us this week, how despite the circumstances that we had come from, whether they were whether they were tough or whether they were maybe good, we had had an encounter with God that week that had given us hope, that had lifted us, and that had shaped us hopefully for the next season of life to come. Friends, this morning we're concluding our series in Psalm 121, and we're doing so in the passage of Psalm, or sorry, we're concluding our series of Summer in the Psalms, and we're concluding with the passage from Psalm 121 that I'm hopeful will seed hope into our stories as we've gathered around sort of the campfire circle here today. My my feeling is, is that as we've come to church here today towards the end of summer, getting ready for school to start in just a couple of days, my feeling is that all of us have some sort of deal in our life or something that we're working through, we're working in. All of us have some baggage that we're carrying around. And as we come into a new season of life, of life, nothing would give us more lift, nothing would bring us more joy than if we could find hope to take next steps in the journey that God has for us. And so with that in mind, I want us to process through Psalm 121 here this morning. And as we do, my hope is to give us four steps that we can take. This isn't a comprehensive list, but there are four strategies or four steps that we can take that will help to seed, seed hope into our stories as believers and help us to take next steps to find joy and perspective that God is with us in this great season that we're in. And so Psalm 121, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles at the usher's table at the back. Or if you want to just follow on your device, I would invite you to do so. But Psalm 121, and I'll read this for us and we can share it together. Starting in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. As we read this passage, and as I have had the experience to do so for years and to sing that song, that chorus, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? So often it's our propensity or it's our desire that when we look at mountains, we think about the grandeur and the majesty of God. When we go out to the hills, it reminds us that there's a bigger person. There's a bigger being out in the universe that's caring for us and providing for us and, 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 and caring for us. So often it's the case in the Western world that we retreat into places like the mountains. In fact, it was just this morning I was talking to a friend in my office and we talked about going to the mountains to go fishing. We love these mountain spaces because for, for so many of us, and indeed this is true in our camp experiences, for so many of us, these are places that we have deep encounters with God. They're places where we can go and and we can set aside the cares of this world and we can just, we can rest in Him, we can abide in Him, and we can open up our hearts in, in unique ways maybe even where God touches us. But as David writes Psalm 121, the perspective that he has about hills or mountains is very different than our Western experience Uh, that that mountains are places of retreat or renewal. For the early uh, Eastern Christian, uh, mountains were places of great threat and and great harm. We're not sure exactly where David was as he was writing this. He could have been coming out of the the cave of Adullam. He could have been coming out of the temple. But when he looked across and he saw the mountains that were in front of him, he's overwhelmed and he's intimidated and he's anxious. Scholars say that uh, the, the, David's life, he was one of the most wanted men in the, in the, in the Eastern world, in the ancient Eastern world, and, and he was like public enemy number one at, this, at the point where he probably wrote this, and so when he looked at the mountains, what he thought about was, was a place of threat, because mountains were places where, where the enemy hung out, it was places where, where the threat uh, loomed large, as, as people would travel from town to town, and they went through the mountains or the hills, thieves and and burglars and vigilantes and all these kind of people would hide around corners, around crevices. And they would lash out and leap out and take advantage of people who were coming by. And so David, as he looks at this, he literally is looking into the face of danger. And as he looks into the face of danger, he says, who's going to help me in these moments? And as he calls out to God, and as he wonders where his helper is... It's revealed probably through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to his heart that his help is the Lord. He finds finds assurance, he finds a lift, he finds perspective that God is going to be with him through this difficult season and that God's going to carry him and God's going to help him. As we talk this morning about steps that we can take or perspectives that we need to have to help us through times of anxiety or depression or struggle or strife, the first thing that I want us to pick up on here this morning is the opportunity we have to see God in the midst of a difficult time. It's our propensity through these difficult seasons to actually turn away from our problems and walk away from them and hope that they're behind us so that they're going to go away. But what David proposes to us here is something that's very different than that. What David suggests to us here is a countercultural practice to the world of comfort and entitlement that we live in. And what he says is, he says, don't turn from your problems, but look at them head on. Look at what you're against. Look at at the anxiety. Look at the sorrow. Look at at the strife. Look at the struggle. And then invite God to show you where he is in the middle of that. Invite Jesus to show you um, his creative power that's in front of you so that you can have a lift or a hope or you can see the opportunity to take the first step and to move forward in your journey of healing or your journey of renewal rather than taking a step back and running away from it. After Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples headed out on a boat across the lake. And as they're going out across the lake, you know this story well. A storm brews up. And this is a humdinger of a storm. It's not just a few waves or like a couple of claps of lightning like we had last night. This is the storm of all storms. And as they're going out across the lake, they knew they needed help. And so standing on the edge of the boat, they look out across the water. And as they look out across the water, they start to see this figure coming towards them. And it terrified them. Somebody cries out and says, it's a ghost. But Jesus immediately looks at them and he said, don't be scared. Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. This is so often the case in our stories, friends, when we have the courage to look back at the problems that we face or the struggle or the strife or the anxiety or whatever it is, when we have courage to look into the heart of the storm or the eye of the storm and we ask Jesus, where are you now? He's always faithful to show up. He creatively reveals himself to us and as he does, it gives us confidence to step forward and to try again. So the question comes, in the midst of the storm, how do you find Jesus? And I want to suggest to you very quickly that there's three things that you can do even today that will help you to find Jesus in the midst of your storm. The very first thing is I would encourage you, as we've been journeying through the Psalms this summer, to to keep on continuing in it. To open your Bible every single day and to look in and to read the words of David, inspired by by the Holy Spirit, given to him by God himself. Read them and allow them and, and steepen them and allow them to minister to the, to the walls of your heart. Spend time daily in the Word of God and allow it to speak to you. Ask God daily to show himself to you in Scripture. The second thing is you need to pray. And every single day that you get up, maybe even more than that, throughout the day as you go about your journey and as you live out your story, ask God to reveal himself to you. And just, you can keep it simple. Lord, where are you in the midst of this storm? I believe that God will be so faithful to show you. and He'll be so faithful to reveal himself to you. And finally, the third thing is, journey with other people and bear your burdens with them. The importance of community to discovering where Jesus is in the center of our story or the center of our situation is critical. Because so often it's the case that Jesus ministers to us through the, through the bride of Christ, through the body of Christ. And so the importance of community, of a small group, of a Bible study, of an accountability group, of, a, of, a, of something like grief share, is critical in times of trying to find Jesus at the center of our story. Because sometimes, so often, the calluses that have been built up, or the veils that we wear because of the hurt and sorrow and pain and suffering that we've gone through, They prevent us from seeing, sometimes in the simplest of ways, look, you said that you're hurting, but Jesus is right there. The value of community is powerful. And there's perspectives that others can bring as they use their their, uh, gifts and their abilities to speak into our life has a powerful effect upon how we see Jesus in the eye of the storm. The journey of redemption or healing always begins as we turn and confront our problem or our sin or our anxiety or our sorrow. And the hope and the lift that follows comes as we journey with Jesus and understand that He is right here with us. The second truth that I want us to see here this morning is that not only is God's creative power in front of me, but secondly, that His eyes are on me. Look at verse 3 here. His eyes are on me. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. As we get into these words, there's a promise here that's so important for us to have perspective on in the midst of our strife or our struggle. And the promise is this. It's that Jesus is in the business of preservation. Jesus is in the business of caring for us. And sometimes in the midst of our struggle or our strife or our anxieties or our depression or the storms of life that we're going through, it feels like the floor is completely giving out. It feels like the floor has fallen and we are in a free fall from outer space or from from life that we know it now and we don't know where the bottom is going to be. But here's the truth, friends. There's a truth that's spoken and declared uh, over uh, in in these words, and and as David shares this here, and it's that the floor will not fall out. It doesn't have permission to do so. You might feel like you're in a free fall at times, but it it is the case that God is with you, and he's not going to let you hit rock bottom completely so that you're destroyed and, and done. God might be with you as you fall for a while, But he's working in these situations, and he's listening, and he cares, and he's paying attention to everything that you're going through, and he's journeying with you. So when that time comes to to journey forward and to journey up, he'll be right there to help you to rebuild or to develop or, or to firm up the foundation so that life can begin to move forward and move up again. This is a prom- there is a promise of preservation in these verses, and there's a promise that his eye is on us. And the psalmist says here, he is attentive to your needs. How often is it the case that we get tired of telling our story? As we're in the pit of despair, we're struggling or we're going through strife or anxiety or depression or whatever it is, how often is it the case that we get just to get tired uh, and think that people don't want to hear our story anymore? Sometimes we go out with friends for a coffee, and I don't know where you go for coffee these days, but uh, you're out for coffee with a friend, and you're sitting at the table, and you start to tell your story, and they kind of lean forward, and, you, you know, you can kind of hear them thinking in their brain, oh, boy, here we go again. You're pouring out your guts to this person, and as they're sitting there, they kind of look out the window, and it's like, oh, hey, there's Bob. I didn't know Bob was here. Bob, why don't you come over and join with us and we're just gonna have a moment together or we're gonna share a few moments together and, and we're gonna, you know, how's your life going, Bob? What's, you know, Aaron, take a moment for a second, but Bob, like, what's new with you? And we feel like this sometimes. But the truth of these verses and the truth of Psalm 121 is that David tells to us that God isn't like this. That God doesn't grow weary or tired of our story. He doesn't get worn out because, once again, we've come and asked him for one more thing. He doesn't get discouraged because, man, Aaron just doesn't get it anymore. No, God cares for us deeply, friends. He gets it. He's journeying with us. He is with us when we fall down, but he's also there to pick us up. He will not slumber nor sleep. He's attentive, and he's paying attention to the cries. He really gives a rip, and he's in the business of preservation, and that means he's attentive to everything that we're going through and everything that we're crying about. Psalm thirty-four, fifteen says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. That word attentive is a big deal. It means that God isn't giving up on us. It means that God is keeping us. It means that he's holding us. And as we have perspective to know that there is somebody who actually cares, somebody who's going to wipe away our tears, somebody who's going to lift us and hold us and love us and hug us and work in us, as we understand this, friends, it gives us confidence to know that we can take yet another step forward, that we're not doing this on our own, that there's the lift of another life, and it's powerful. Guys, God's eyes are on us. And as we understand this, it lifts us and it shapes us. And it encourages us to know that God is keenly aware and keenly desiring to walk with us along the way. But not, not only is God's power in front of us, not only are his eyes on me, but his very presence is with us. Look at verse 5 here. It says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at night, or sorry, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Friends, these are not just hopeful words that David is uttering here. These are declarations about who God is in his life and who, uh, who David is in, in his identity with God as his father. As he speaks these words, he's declaring truths from Scripture, like Genesis 28, 15, where he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do in you. David is making declarations, and in the Christian life, and the Christian experience, this is a powerful reality that we must practice day in and day out as we journey through difficult seasons, even through good seasons. One of the spaces that Satan loves to attack is our identity in Christ. And as we go through these these times, as, as we are anxious about the things that are in front of us, it's important that we make declarations about who we are and who we are in to help lift us moving forward. And listen, this is no health and wealth gospel. This is no prosperity gospel to say... Hey, like, God's a great provider, and so, God, I've got a whole bunch of back-to-school bills. I just dished out a ton for shoes, and so, bang, provide for me. That's not what's taking place here. What's taking place here is that we are stating who we already are. And as we declare these things, as we say these things, as as we embrace these things, it gives us confidence to step up because there's victory and there's freedom in Jesus' name, friends. And so making declarations in our times of struggle is critically important to those next steps and in our process of journeying forward and finding hope because it lifts our heart and it lifts our soul and it reminds us of the work that's already been done. Over the course of this last year, I've said this a few times, it's obviously a crisis in my life, I turned 40 years old. (laughs) 40 years old is not over the hill, right? Right? Isn't that at 50 or 55? I don't know. <laughs> but as, I, as I've been growing older, I've found out that there's something within me that I haven't known before. And over the course of this last year, I've experienced things like, I, uh, like anxiety. I've experienced things like, dis, like depression. Yeah, I've flirted with this in the past, but it's hit me in new ways. A couple of, well, actually many months ago now, back in, I think it was November, October, I was on the phone in the gym, just through that wall, with my best friend, Jeremy, who lives in Vernon. And I was telling him about these feelings that I was having that were new and that I hadn't gone through before. And I said, I think I'm depressed. And he got after me. He rebuked me, which is a loving reminder or a loving correction. And he said, Aaron, your identity is not depression. And he got in my face, through the telephone, but he got in my face. He said, your identity is not depression. Your identity is that you're a child of the king. That you are saved by grace, by Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you. He's like, that's your identity. Cast off the depression and live in the identity and the hope that God's given to you and declare that daily. And so for months, over the last number of months now, I've been trying to live this out. And you know what? Usually it happens when I'm driving in the car, for whatever reason. I'll be going to something and I feel like, oh boy, here it comes. And so I start to just make these claims and these promises over my life. And I just call out, you know what, Satan? Excuse my French. Well, there's kids in the room. Go away! (laughs) I'm not depressed. I'm a child of the king. I'm not depressed. I'm joyful in Jesus because of what he's done for me. I'm not defeated. I'm not broken down. I'm strong because of Jesus. And it's been amazing, friends. It's been a journey. It's not always instantaneous, but it's been a journey that as I've declared these things over my life, the lift that's taken place has been powerful. Things at times like I'm worthy. Things at times like I'm victorious in Jesus. Things at times, even as as practical and as simple as, you know what, I am a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good son. Friends, it's powerful what happens in our life. And it's not that there's some sort of secret formula that we're going to all of a sudden achieve something because we speak into the banner of our life, or of our identity. It's just that we're reminded to the core of our soul of who we truly are, and it lifts us. I know that there's so many in this room today that feel like you're in the pit of despair. And can I encourage you that the results aren't always going to be instantaneous, but you will find hope and promise in literally speaking out loud the truths of Scripture like David does here, that God is caring for you, that he's watching over you, that he won't harm you, that he's victorious and and, and is victorious for you as you claim these things and declare these things you will find hope and promise a new hope a new perspective to help lead you forward and discover the brightness of the new day well one last thing here i forgot to turn my timer on so i don't know how long i've gone but if it's super long i apologize but i want to i want to highlight one last point and i think it's an important one so we finish up this passage here we want to look at the words of verses 7 and 8 and consider how, God, how God's care surrounds us. And it says here in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This idea of keeping us is huge. And if you look back into the Hebrew, that word keep translates to the word shalom, not shalom, which is the restoration of all things, but shalom which speaks towards the way that God cares for us and protects us and the way that he fights for us, the way that he watches over our lives and stands on guard for us. If you go to 1 Kings 14, the same word is used about King Rehoboam's bodyguards and the way that they protected him, and it's the similar inference or similar tone that's used here for the way that God watches over us. Here's the perspective I want to share with us, friends. That was helpful to me this last week. God doesn't just delegate a few angels to come and take care of our situation. He doesn't just say, uh, "Okay, uh, Peter, Gabriel, um, I'm going to assign you onto Aaron." Or maybe it's not even, maybe it's not even uh, Peter and Gabriel. Maybe it's like, uh, whatever, doofus number one and doofus number two. You got Aaron this week. No, it's not like that. He doesn't just assign a couple of angels to hope uh, that our our situation will be helped. God Himself fights on our behalf, friends. And so often it's the case that there are spiritual battles that are taking place in our lives that are pulling us down or that are are pulling us in and causing the anxiety or the sorrow or the grief or the depression or whatever it is. There's a spiritual reality to these things that we're up against. And just as Satan is fighting to get at us, God is fighting for us. But He's not in the back directing traffic. He's on the front lines holding the sword, leading the charge. And yes, there's angels that fight on our behalf. Absolutely. There is a hedge of protection. There's a covering from the shed blood of Christ that covers us. Um, But it is God himself who is fighting our behalf. And it's God himself who's leading the armies to fight the legion of armies that are coming against us. Somebody wrote on social media this last week, and I hope I get this right, because I didn't write this down, but it's just coming to me now. Imagine how important the mission is in front of you if Satan is hitting you this hard and God is fighting this hard for you, something like that. Imagine what takes place in life in the days and the weeks and the months to come if we get through this time we declare these truths over us, if we have perspective that God is with us, if we look into the heart and the eye of the storm and look for Jesus in this, if we can work through this season of life and we can work through the battle with God leading the charge, imagine what's in front of us and the kingdom work that's going to come through our life, through your life, through my life, if we take these steps forward. God is leading the charge and it doesn't mean that we're going to avoid trouble or turmoil. In fact, David was public enemy number one for a long season of his life. It means that there will will be things that will bruise us, but nothing is going to break us. And what God says to us here is that, uh, that our experiences may be hard and difficult or challenging, but they're not going to ruin us because God is saying that I will not allow them to do so. I need you to hear this, friends. I need to hear this so often in the pit of despair, we think our story's done. We don't even know what tomorrow's going to look like, let alone weeks or months or years ahead. And the truth of Psalm 121 is that God isn't going to allow the end to be written at the end of our story. Instead, he is going to fight for us and he's going to help us to move forward. And is it going to hurt at times? Yes. Is it going to be hard at times? You better believe it. But will we get through? Absolutely Yes. As much as there's a father that's fighting for us, I also want us to have the perspective that there's a father who's gently leading us forward. When we read the word Abba, Father, in the Old Testament, it best translates into the word Daddy. As much as there's this ferocious warrior that's fighting our behalf, we need to understand that there's a father who's holding our hand and gently walking with us each step of the way to lead us forward and to love us and to care for us and to provide for us, and to just be with us. It's a juxtaposing picture, but it's also a powerful reality that in the midst of strife and struggle lifts us and shapes us to live victoriously, but also joyfully. So life's hard. And I get that for most of us here this morning, we're maybe thinking or we've come to the place where we're thinking, what's the point? And to that, God penned the words of Psalm 121 through David, who is also in the pit of despair and reminds us that when God is present, we can have have confidence to know that the battle is won and that we can walk hand in hand and arm in arm with a king and a savior who personally cares deeply about our lives. So we would get back to the cabin at the end of the week, Camp Camisole. So often it was the case that we would get commissioned to go out and all of us had come from different backgrounds some of us were in the thick of life some of us were in the in you know in the great places in life but we all came from different backgrounds and you know struggle didn't seem to to care whether or not you came from uh, you know simple places or from from lavish places it just seemed to be that everybody who came to camp had something that they were dealing with but as we journeyed through the course of that week together, as we prayed together, as we talked together, as we shared together, as we had fun together, as we worshiped Jesus together under the threat of incredible lightning storms, he lifted us. And it was without exception that every single week that we would go home on that Saturday, we would jump on a bus, we would fjord literally a river. That's how primitive and simple the camp I went to was drove through a river to get there, how far out it was. And we would go home on fire, illuminating and radiating the joy and the touch of Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage you. As you're here this morning, your story isn't finished. But instead, there's some simple practices that we can do from Psalm 21. There's simple ways that we can live by reading the word of God, by praying and by living in community that will lift us and shape us so that a new season and a new day will and can come. There's hope in the days of he- ahead, and it comes when we place our eyes on Jesus. Let's sing together. Please stand.